Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to the Longview Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording live after the Grizzlies' loss for the Philadelphia 76ers. We won't get too much into that. Uh, really, the only thing that you can say is when your bench scores 15 points and everyone on your team except for one player combines for 1-3, you're probably going to lose the game in the modern NBA. But you know what? It happens. They, they still have a sizable lead. Uh, for third in the Western Conference, you just kind of move on to the next. But anyways, before we introduce our guests, let me let you know how you could keep in touch with the podcast and with the blog. You can find the podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, the 3 d Podcast, the Core 4 Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Wherever you get those, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. It's right there. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And join with me today is a former GBBer, uh, and he is also a um, big, big draft guy, big draft guy, probably one of the, the wisest draft guys in Grizz Twitter. Uh, he, he is also um, California's resident Grizz guy. It's uh, Chip Williams. Chip, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Parker. Um, appreciate you having me on, man. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to get to chat with you. For sure. And, you know, we were talking about this before, before we started recording here, is that with it being Pacific Coast time for an East Coast game, the games for you starting at four o'clock, like it, isn't it kind of weird because you know you got to rush home from work to catch the game, but also too like you had the rest of your night. I mean, it's uh seven o'clock out there right now. Like you're you're just chilling now. Yeah, it's actually pretty great. I'm not gonna lie, sports on Pacific time is pretty great. Um, like you know when you're in Central time, you get the game starts at seven um eastern so tonight it started at six that's a little early for everybody basically every grizz game starts at five for me and it's perfect because it's over 7 15 7 30 
whatever show you're watching, you want to catch a college game or whatever afterwards. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. Like I'll, I'll go even further. College football games start at 9 a.m. out here. So you're pretty much waking up on a Saturday and, uh, you know, you're catching like Vanderbilt, Kentucky at 9 a.m. on the SEC network. It, it just doesn't get a lot better than that. Yeah. And also, too, you, you don't really get Pac 12 after dark because, like, it, it's seven o'clock your time. So it ends at a normal time for you. Whereas, you know, a lot of us here on Central Coast time, we're wake or we're staying up to like midnight, 12 30, watching some Pac 12 football hoping a, a parlay hits with the uh, Oregon-Washington <laughs> State game. But, no, Chip, I, I really wanted to have you on here because uh, the the two guys the Grizzlies got in the 2021 draft, you were big fans of both of them. We had actually talked in this uh, show about uh, Zaire Williams. Uh, if, if any of y'all don't follow Chip on Twitter, for one, you should already do so. But he has an entire Twitter thread on like the bright spots and areas of improvement for Zaire Williams's game. Literally watched every game he played in Stanford. Really good stuff. You should probably check it out. But I and he also was like one of the only few, if any people in Grizzlies Twitter that was like, oh yeah, Santi Aldama. That that's a pretty good player. Like right when he got drafted. So we'll get right into Zaire. Um Chip obviously He's a rookie up and down. He's He showed that in uh, tonight's loss to Philly. Just, well, what have you liked so far from Zaire Williams, e- even in the in these growing pains and such? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think if, if you paid attention at all, you know, with him coming up at Sierra Canyon or even at Stanford in that just incredibly strange year that he had there, um, I think you're probably pretty encouraged so far by what you've seen of Zaire. It's, I think that the, you know, basically there's kind of been two versions of him, right? There's been the pre-injury Zaire, which was the first couple months of the season. And then there's been this most recent version, which was coming off the injury and what we've seen most recently. And the guy before the injury, I think was something closer to what you saw at Stanford, the, the struggles and, Again, that's not to, that's not unexpected, right? The guy's twenty years old, um, has not has not did not get a lot of great reps when he was at Stanford, just because of COVID impacting the way that they had to play, the way they had to stay. I mean, it, it was it couldn't have been a more abnormal year for him, um, and so I think you saw that as it transitioned into his NBA career. And you know, one thing that I will give. Taylor Jenkins and the Grizzlies organization just so much credit on is they never waned in playing him and letting him go through these growing pains. And, part, you know, partly that's because they were still winning. You know, he was not playing particularly well um, and they were still winning games. So I think as long as it wasn't, you know, severely impacting wins and losses, they were probably okay. Like, hey, this guy, we've seen the talent. I'm sure the flashes they get to see in practice are pretty impressive. Um, let's see what this guy can do when he's facing live bullets in a game. And then he got hurt. Right. And so he took a couple weeks and sat on the sideline. And I want to say that I read somewhere or saw an immediate availability that he said that being able to sit there on the sidelines and observe the game allowed the game to slow down a little bit for him. Um, Because I think anybody who's played any sort of sport knows like 
you go from JV to high school, the game speeds up a little bit. You go from high school to college, speeds up even more. And then I, I can only imagine what the leap is like going from college to the NBA, just how much that game is quicker and the athletes are different. You're playing against grown men. And so when you're 20 years old, having that opportunity to kind of sit back, learn from some of the guys on the bench and just observe the game as opposed to having to be in the middle of it. I think you've seen the benefits of that. Um, I'm sure we'll kind of get more into his game as we talk, but um, I don't think we've seen anything close to a full form version of what peak Zaire can look like. But I think to answer your question, what's encouraged me the most is this version, the post-injury version, looks like a player where kind of if all else fails and he doesn't hit that high 90s percentile outcome of what he could be, I think we've seen enough to say, okay, two, two, three years down the road, this guy is going to be able to be a two-way impactful role player in the NBA. And that is huge because there are prospects every year who say, hey, if this guy basically doesn't end up being a top one or two guy for his team, I have no idea what that's going to look like for him as a role player. He just doesn't have a role player game. Well, I think we've seen Zaire does have that role player game with room to grow beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely do want to get into this post-injury stuff because it's been promising. And I think like the stuff that you outlined there is even though he has, even though he's not at his like peak performance or anything yet, he's shown like, okay, if this is it, maybe like just slight improvement in his three point shot, you still get a pretty solid player. And I, I had always said with Zaire, if he can just become like by like year three or year like about like year three, like if he could just become a top eight guy for your playoff rotation, like a guy that you can have in a playoff series, because I mean, he's not there right now and none of us are expecting him to be, but if he can be that in like year three, that's huge. And before we get more, uh, more into just his post-injury thing. One of the things he did mention uh, in one of the media availabilities that was really cool is uh, he watched a lot of film when he was in quarantine because uh, he also, while being injured, he got in health and safety protocols. And he said he watched a lot of Desmond Bain, especially how he moves without the ball. Chip, isn't it just really cool that like your second-year guy is so good that you have your rookie being like, oh, yeah, I'm watching this guy play and seeing how I can emulate some of that into my game. Yeah, it's unreal, man. Like, I I was a fan, like a lot of draft Twitter, of Desmond Bain. And that's what you hoped, that we saw it as a rookie, right? Like, he came in and he was a role player day one. Like, we know, okay, this guy's going to be able to play a lot. Uh, and then year two, this leap that we're seeing as a 23-year-old, remarkable I mean he plays like a guy who's been in the league for five years and like you said you've got a guy who's just three years younger than him and only been in the league one less year than he has uh watching film to try to learn from that it's it's pretty remarkable yeah and one thing that you can also see too is just that he really picked up is just this off-ball movement because before his injury and yeah everybody you know within like Grizzlies Twitter covering the team and stuff, you're like, oh, man, Zaire Williams, he really loves that corner, that corner three. He loves that corner pocket. But now he's starting to add more to his game. And I think one thing that, you know, everybody gets to see is him catching lobs from John Morant. He's doing a very good job 
of taking advantage of the defense ball watching and because with John Morant, I mean, you're kind of forced to ball watch because of how good he is in getting into the paint, but he's slipping behind the defense and uh, finishing plays. Uh, he's developed a little bit of a rapport with Steven Adams, uh, developed a little bit. Like here and there, he'd be like, oh, there's a, a pull-up mid-range jump shot. That, that's pretty cool to see from him. So just those offensive flashes and just expanding beyond just that corner three has to be probably the most encouraging aspect that we've seen thus far. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I definitely would. I mean, I, you know, I, he provides that shooting gravity, right? You have to respect his jump shot when he's standing there in the corner because he, he's proven that he can knock that down in a pretty respectable clip. But now I think what you're seeing is he's finding those opportunities, even in the half court. Like we know that like, for a guy that is somewhere between 6'9 and 6'10, he is so fast. I mean, he moves like a guy that's 6'4. Um, he can really sprint straight line uh, in transition. So you expect him to get out in transition with Ja, with Tyus, these guys who can throw lobs. And we've seen some of that, right? But he's even become a half-court lob threat where he's standing in the corner. His man gets caught ball watching. He kind of slips in the short corner. Ja notices it throw up and before his defender can even realize it, Zaire's dunking it. And that's really fun. Um, And it just adds another level, another layer to what this guy can do as a rookie. And I I think one of the things that excited me the most, and we've seen it a little bit, but not much, um, is his off ball shot making, or excuse me, off the live dribble shot making. Um, And we've gotten to see a little bit, right? Like he's got the little, two dribble, get to the elbow, pull up. And we've seen that a few times after his injury. Um, We've seen him be able to create for others a little bit here and there. But like those flashes, I think when we see the full formed version of Zaire, like that's what you're going to be seeing. I think he's probably at best a secondary creator, most likely a tertiary creator, just kind of someone where almost like Desmond Bain does right now, right? Like excellent catch and shoot guy, but in a pinch you can throw Desmond Bain in a pick and roll and he's getting to the elbow and it's pretty much automatic um I think Zaire has some of that it's really hard for him right now just because he's rail thin and needs to put on a lot of muscle put on a lot of weight and he gets bumped off his spot all the time so he's having to take very difficult shots because he doesn't have the body to be able to get to positions that are more advantageous for him um so I mean even around the rim, like he'll be seven feet from the basket. His guy pushes him nine feet from the basket and he's still able to hit some sort of like turnaround fall away or his touch is just, it's pretty remarkable. And the fact that he's able to score as well as he is without having the physicality to get to where he's wants to get to and likely will be able to get to has been so impressive. I I tweeted the other day, that I think he has the best touch on his jumper of any Grizzly. And, of course, someone immediately was like, well, Desmond Bain. I was like, yeah, I mean, Desmond Bain is obviously the best shooter on the Grizzlies, and that's not up for debate. But the touch that Zaire has on his shot, I think once he kind of calibrates that jumper a little bit better, he's going to give himself some opportunities to to make a lot of shots. Because, I mean, it, it does go high. I wonder if the arc is maybe a little too high. But – when it comes down, I mean, it's it's feathery on the basket. It's it's really a thing of beauty to watch. Yeah, and I, w- I was actually going to ask you about the jumper because it's 
it's really perplexing because you look at his jump shot, you know, how it goes up and down, and you're just like, man, that's a pretty <laughs> jump shot. It, it's pretty textbook. But, I mean, right this season, he's shooting 25%. Even, even in this, like, post-injury slate, he's shooting 28% from – or 27% from three. Again, nothing to really, like – really be super concerned about because of this other areas that he's flashed, um, you know, with his live dribble scoring, his cutting, um, his defense, his individual defense guarding some of the tougher assignments in the NBA. Um, it, it just kind of, kind of gloss over it, but you know, it, he has these nights where, you know, it's like one of eight from three, one of six from three, one for seven. He was over six tonight, I believe. Like what? What is it you see with this jumper? I mean, it looks. It's not a broken shot. Like it's not like you have, uh, for example, it's not like he has like a Brandon Clark or a Kyle Anderson form. Like he has a solid. It kind of reminds me of like D'Anthony Melton, his first season. It's like okay, the form is solid. Just what? What's what's that small tweak to where it's just not going? It's not falling for him. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I wouldn't consider myself like the greatest shot doc necessarily, um, but I'm with you. Like he gets square every time he shoots. The form is decent. I think his, his release is probably a little long and that's kind of where it gets into too much arc on the jumper. I, I do wonder if he flattens it out just a touch, if we'll see an improvement because the form is fine. You, you're, you're spot on there. It is definitely not broken. It, it is not Brandon Clark. It is not Kyle Anderson. I mean, it's not even Jaron, right? Like Jaron's shot, it goes in for the most part. Um, but like you wouldn't teach your kid to shoot the way Jaron does. Right. Um, you would much likely, you know, steer him in the direction of, hey, watch Zaire Williams shoot the ball. It, it's pretty good. Um, I just, I think that the the DeAnthony point is is pretty good where, I think DeAnthony gets in that situation too, where he just puts a little bit too much arc on it. It just goes too high. And so you're having to really force a little extra emphasis when you shoot it. And when it comes down, you just have a lot of outcomes there. Um, now it provides some good touch on the shot. You might may get a nice friendly bounce from time to time, but I do think he could flatten it out just a little bit. Um, and that would help him some, but like mechanically, I don't see a ton that I would change. Um, and I do, I like you look at John Morant, like he's, his form is not great on his three, but it's, it's a push shot, you know, um, he kind of shoots it from his chin, but it's going in for him. Like I, the thing that has impressed me the most with John this year is like, you have to guard him from three now. Now guys still sag off of him because you'd rather Josh shoot the three than you would get anywhere near the paint. Right. Uh, but I think what the shot jaw, his improvement over the course of his three years shows me that Taylor Jenkins and his staff, they know how to help guys kind of work off the shot that they already have and just improve that going in. So if you're starting with the baseline Zaire has, I have a lot of confidence that like at worst, he's going to be a mid thirties, three point shooter. And when he starts to add the stuff off the dribble, which I've seen him do at high school and college level, then you're starting to really have a guy that not just is a standstill jump shooter, but like truly a shot maker, which I think is what he's going to be. Yeah. And that, that's, what's really exciting with, with Zaire is that you can kind of, 
I wouldn't say dream because you don't I we've been burned so many times by big wings that you don't want to dream too big. Um sure. I mean not really young ones, but every everyone knows the vibes there. But you know, at worst case, like you know, I honestly watched from afar with Phoenix and uh, especially in the low usage role that Zaire has been playing in right now, like can he even just be Cam Thomas, who is like turned into a very, very good role player off the bench? I, I mean, I think I saw a streak where like he hadn't scored in single digits since like mid December or something for like, and this was like in mid to late January that this was a thing. Um, Mikhail Bridges, it's a popular one, but I mean, I don't know if you'll ever get to Mikhail's level defensively, but yeah. I mean, even if he's that sort of low usage role player to where he can attack closeouts, he's a lob threat, he can create his own shot when needed to, but he's also going to be a reliable three-point shooter for when, like in tonight's loss, teams, they collapse on John in the, in the, in the clutch because we've seen time and time again, it doesn't matter who's in the who's in the paint jaws finishing and we saw this dude going at uh the modern day twin tower uh, uh trying to think of ralph ralph Sam- i was trying to think of the first name ralph samson and akima lodge one almost yeah with uh jared allen and evan mobley and jaw was finishing over those guys and teams are going to collapse especially in the playoffs you need reliable shooters and your your hope is that zaire becomes one of those guys yeah, for sure. And I'm actually I'm really glad that you brought up the defense um, because I don't think we can discount for a rookie how good he has been, especially on ball defensively. And again, that was another thing that flashed at Stanford was a lot of time like so Stanford season, you know, again, well documented it was horrible and about you know, I want to say seven, eight, nine games into the year, about the midway point of the year both of their guards went down with injuries. And so they were having to play backup guys and kind of a point guard by committee situation. And so a lot of times Zaire was guarding the point guard of the other team, especially when they got, you know, pretty deep into conference play in the Pac-12. He was oftentimes guarding the other team's point guard. And you've got this guy who's 6'9", 6'10", long arms, who's now defending someone who's at least a half foot shorter than him. And it, it gives him a lot of problems. And I think the, the best example of that so far in his young NBA career uh, was the Steph Curry game, where you, you go out the first quarter and you see Steph's got the ball and Zaire's guarding him. You're like, okay, maybe it was like, you know, weird switch thing where Zaire got, you know, they wanted to switch Zaire onto Steph and the Warriors got that matchup they wanted. You come down the second possession, Zaire's guarding him again, and you're like, is this just a thing? Like Taylor Jenkins just wants Zaire to guard Steph Curry. Okay. I guess this is what we're doing. And Steph is Steph, right? So Steph got his numbers, but like Zaire made it tough for him and he stayed in front of him a lot. And it, it was, it was kind of mind blowing to me that the Grizzlies would trust a 20 year old to go out there and guard, you know, a multi-time league MVP. And he did a pretty good job. I think that his team defense can come. It's got a long way to go. And that, you know, again, you can say that about literally every rookie that's probably not named Devin Mobley um, or maybe Scotty Barnes too. But um, that's not surprising that, you know, he's not, not in the right spot a lot and that's okay. Uh, you don't expect him to be, but the odd ball stuff is very encouraging because when you think of like a, a score on the offensive end who can then guards, you know, 
you would hope that with his 6'10 size, he could probably guard anywhere one through four. Now, how realistic is that? We'll see. Um, he's got to gain a lot of weight to guard threes and fours. But right now, pretty comfortably guard ones and twos and some threes. And that is that's a weapon. Uh, that's a weapon to have um, with a guy his size. Yeah, I, I, I wrote about uh, the Steph Curry matchup right, right when it happened a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I, I like what he provides with the size screen. There's so, especially when you're guarding a guy like Steph Curry, I think Zaire got a firsthand masterclass on how to defend uh, with that much off-ball movement, especially with Steph. They, they run that man around like crazy um, and just screen navigation through that. And I, I think it's just good stuff to point back to for the film. Say, okay, hey, I did, I did this right, but I could improve on this. But I've really – been encouraged by how he's been taking on a lot of these challenges. Uh, he guarded Mike Conley the other night against Utah. Uh, he guarded Luca, but I, I think the only guy on the team that can guard Luca is Dylan because of his physicality. Um, but the fact that Taylor Jenkins is trusting him, not because they could have easily gone back to that jaw, Melton, Bain, Jackson. Adam starting lineup and he rolled with Zaire and I, I even in the, this moment of their third in the West and they're pretty close to that. I mean, they're a top three team in the NBA top four, whatever team in the league right now. And they're trusting their 20 uh, year old rookie who your GM said on draft night was going to be a multi-year process to start and guard an opposing team's best player. I mean, it, you're just kind of playing with house money at that point, I think. Agreed. I, I think that's, a, again, a, a very key point is, like, anyone listening to this, like, man, have you watched that year? Like, he's not as good as you guys are hyping him up to be. You have to view this through the prism of, like, this guy came in here off of a horrible season at Stanford by his standards, and it was well known that this was going to be two, three, four, five, like – it was going to take him some time to get to where he was a significant positive at the NBA level. And the flashes we've seen from my standpoint are exactly what you want to see for a guy that will ultimately be able to contribute at a very high level for this team. How high? I think there's a couple of swing factors that can get him there. Like first and foremost is just his body. We're going to have, I mean, he could put on 25 pounds very comfortably and probably not lose a whole lot of athleticism. I mean, he is rail thin. Um, now you see a guy like Ja. Ja came into the NBA, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, this guy is rail thin. He's going to have to put on a lot of weight. And he is certainly thicker than when he was at Murray State in his rookie year at, at uh, with the Grizzlies. But he – isn't that much bigger. Like, you know, he, he pretty much just has his frame. And Jaws got the craftiness, though. I don't think Zaire has the quick twitch athleticism, the craftiness that Jaw does to be able to snake screens and, you know, just kind of almost slither by guys at times. I don't think Zaire has that. And he's going to be banging with guys that are 230-plus. So he's going to mm. have to put on weight. You know, like, like you talked about the Lucas stuff. It, you're right. It's Dylan Brooks and maybe Kyle Anderson are, have the physicality to deal with Luca. Zaire's just got no chance right now. So that, to me, is the biggest swing factor in terms of 
we'll be able to see a fully formed version of him when he puts on 20, 25 pounds. Um, and then the jumper too, just how, where is that going to end up? Like, is he a low thirties, three point shooter, mid thirties? Does he end up as an elite three point shooter, 38, 39 plus? Um, we'll see. We'll see. But those, I think the body and the jumper are the two big swing factors for me in terms of like, is he just a role player kind of like of a Anthony Melton type where perfectly useful player going to make a lot of money playing basketball going to help you win games or like is this guy going to end up being a legitimate one of your guys playoff starter um I think anyone who knows um is is lying to you because I I don't think the Grizzlies even know what the what this guy's going to end up being yeah I I, I kind of go back and forth on you know okay this guy could be the starting three uh for you know the actualized version of what we think the Grizzlies are going to become or like you said like is he basically the 610 uh, like a 610 D'Anthony Melton which is great great player to have off your bench um I mean if he's on he's on uh make impactful plays defensively uh make good cuts make he's shown some pretty good uh playmaking flashes especially just like a little small passes where you go, oh, wait, I, I, I didn't see that coming from you, but all good. But it, it's it's really fun because this is kind of the first guy we've had in a while. Like, I, I can't think of the last time we've had a player with his developmental arc. Like, probably Mike Conley, when you think about, like, how raw he is coming in and kind of – how everything's going to like supposed to progress year by year. It's not going to be one of those things like Ja or even like Rudy Gay, whereas like Rudy was pretty, pretty good as a rookie in an exploded year too. Like I'm not, I don't even think we're going to get that from Zaire, but it's good to be these gradual things where we may look up and it's year five or six. And you're like, okay, Zaire figured it out here. Here it is. Here's the guy that we think he, we all thought he could become. Yeah, I think you could even argue Jaron. Like, you know, Jaron was – we knew yep. that it was going to take a long time for him, and he was even younger than Tyre when he got to the league. Like, I, I hate to I, – I have to restrain myself almost on a daily basis from tweeting, like, Jaron Jackson is 22 years old. Like, Jaron Jackson would not be the oldest player in this draft by far if he was in this year's draft. Like, Everyone's going nuts over Herb Jones right now. Rightfully so. Huge Herb Jones guy and really enjoy watching him play. Herb Jones is like almost a full year older than Jaron Jackson. Like Jaron is so young. And I hope that what we've seen, the development we've seen from Jaron as he's now 22, starting to grow into his body. I hope that a little bit more patience is given to Zaire. And look, the lumps are going to be frustrating. The ups are going to be really fun. The downs are going to be like, man, we got to get this guy off the court. But I, guys develop, right? And they develop at their own pace. This is not linear. Some days are going to be great. Some days are going to be not so great. And um, I hope we just, you know, kind of relax, enjoy the ride and, and see what this kid ends up being. Because, I mean, look, the like he really could be a, a piece to a – contending team like really he could be a starting piece to a contending team and I don't know if that's the likely outcome uh, but I'm I'm not going to take it off the table like he's he's impressed me enough this year to say like yeah like we we've seen what we needed to see from rookies I year 
let's keep getting in the gym. Let's see what he looks like in a year, two years, three years, and and then we can start making plans. Yep. I, I agree for sure. And and Chip, do you have do we have anything else that you want to add on uh Zaire before we move on to uh uh Sant- Santi Aldama? No, I think uh I think that was it. That was my that was my rant, man. Let's uh let's give the guy some time. I'm glad you brought up the defense because I think um I think for a rookie, his defense has been pretty impressive, uh, especially a rookie as skinny and as um, as immature as his body is at this point in his career. It's I've been very impressed with how he moves his feet and stays in front of guys. So, yeah, I I think it's fun, uh, but uh, I think I hope everybody you know shows a little patience with him as as we go on this development journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I sure hope so. And I hope that everybody isn't like, oh, yeah, we'll be patient with him. And it's like in the middle of year two. And it's like, okay, well, what is this guy? Like, did you get him off? <laughs> like, I hope it's not one of those things, but we'll see. I, I want to do, I, I promise y'all, we won't get into Santi Aldama as deep or as anything as Zaire. If we do, we're probably a little insane. But um, so I honestly did not expect. Santi Aldama to get this much time this at this point in the season. He's at 179 non-garbage time minutes, uh, according to cleaning the glass. I had actually pulled up cleaning the glass because uh Santi Aldama at one point was uh the reason I threw um on off uh, point differential out the window because he was the highest on-off differential while John Morant was a negative. I was like, okay, I can't be using on-off this season. It's it's something I cannot use. But he, he's played uh, 277 minutes this year, and I kind of blame, you know, the health and safety protocols on that. Um, but it, he's he's interesting, I will say. Um, the Santi Aldama experience is fun. Uh, he doesn't have a shot that he doesn't like. You could tell with his um, whopping 10% from three, uh, three point percentage, rivaling that of uh, other Grizzlies rookie great, uh, Wade Baldwin. Um, but yeah. that, that aside, like, I, I do think that he, he has interesting stuff. Like, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of Poku. It's like, okay, it's rough, but you can kind of see some stuff. I mean, he's, he has, he's fluid with the ball. Um, he's not uncoordinated with it. Uh, he can attack closeouts. He can cut. He just doesn't have the jumper right now. I always thought that it was going to be a little bit for him because this is like may, like every NBA player for the most part, like 99% of them have to go through some sort of uh, role uh, recalibration when they enter the league. But the Santi one's pretty dramatic because at Loyola, he didn't, he didn't have any other NBA prospects, so he's the guy. He's taking all the shots, all that, and now he's in a situation where he's now 14th or 15th on the pecking order, and you're 
it's just kind of like okay, he like he he kind of needs to f- figure out how to play within this role. But well, what have you seen from him, Chip? Because I'm not gonna say like oh, this guy sucks. It's just like he's a rookie. He's incredibly raw. Kind of like I said, reminds me a little of Poku, maybe slightly better than Poku. But where where do you stand right now, Santi? Ooh, yeah, the um, the Saint. I'll give him credit. Like the Santi Aldama minutes are kind of must see TV because you just have no idea what's coming next. You know, like he could shoot at thirty five foot three that misses two feet to the left and barely hits the backboard. Or he could go up and dunk on somebody and you're like, like, you just don't know. You have no idea what is coming. Um, And, you know, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that I watched every uh, Loyola Maryland game. But what I did, I actually remember Santi from playing with Spain um, in the, the FIBA U18s. And he was really good. And Spain won gold. He was one of the best players on Spain. And then it like kind of forgot about him. And then he pops up in this year's pre-draft as, as a Loyola guy. And so I watched as much as you can find, I mean, watching the Loyola games, it's you've, you can get better access to like some of the high level high school stuff than you can their games. Um, And it's, you're, you're right. The, the transition from, okay, Santi Aldama is significantly better than every player on the floor to now, Hey, you know, you've, You've got some skill, sure, but like you, you need to. You're the 15th, 16th guy on this roster. You're a developmental player. Um, it's probably tough for him, and it goes back a little bit to what we talked about with Zaire, where um, so many prospects. I think you get concerned where, like, all right, so they're obviously not going to be what they just were in college. The ball's not always going to be in their hand. They're not going to be shooting 15 plus times a game. What does them? What do they look like in a reduced role as a role player? And I still don't know that we have the answer for that for Santi. Um, and I, you know, I don't think that we should at this point either. Um, I'm very interested to see kind of what happens with him in terms of you know playing some games with the hustle. Uh, I think that would do him a lot of good. Um, I mean, you go back, you look at the way he shot the ball with Spain in the U18s. And the way he shot the ball from three with Loyola uh, as a sophomore, he he has like legitimately mid-30s from three capability. We didn't see it in summer league, and we haven't seen it really so far in the NBA, though he has had some games where he's made some shots. I think he's a legitimately good rebounder. I think he can dribble a little bit. Um, and I think he projects as a decent defensive player probably never going to be a great rim protector but there is a you know I think if you squint you could see a guy who could switch a little bit defensively uh, you know nothing like a, a Jaron or anything like that but I think the Grizzlies were right to roll the dice at pick 30 on a guy that is you know 6'11 7 feet tall has some projectable jump shooting metrics um, can move his feet pretty well, can make plays a little bit with the ball in his hand. He's kind of an awkward athlete. Um, and so I wonder if he, he kind of loosens up a little bit as he keeps going in the, uh, in the NBA with strength and conditioning programs, working with, you know, those guys full time. Um, but I mean, so far this season, man, it's, 
it's it's hard to take away a lot of long-term thoughts off what you see because what you see is like the highs of highs and lows of lows. I mean, there are times he looks like he has no business being on an NBA floor. There are times it's like, man, like maybe this guy should get 10, 12 minutes a night. Um, so yeah, I know I've kind of all over the place there, but it's, I've just found it very hard to have a lot of firm takeaways from Santi. I mean, do, do you agree there? Yeah, I agree. I mean, mainly for one, the minutes are just not, not like his actual performance. I mean, yeah, his actual performance in the minutes are inconsistent. But I mean, just the minutes variance on each night are, are pretty inconsistent. Cause you know, with, with the way that the NBA is in 2021, 2022, there's going to be some nights where Santi's going to be playing 12 to 15 minutes and some nights where he's not playing. And maybe three more games and not playing, then he's back in for another 12. Or there's there's a blowout, whichever side, and Santi's playing eight minutes in the fourth quarter. It's just so much inconsistency. You can't really base it off anything. But like you said, if you squint, you can see something. And they were right to roll the dice. Like I was even looking on draft night, and maybe I just wasn't, thinking is hard but when you're really thinking probably through it's like okay whoever we get with the second pick they're probably not going to be in our rotation next year we have a loaded team a lot of guys we need to evaluate this person's not going to play so at while a guy like herb jones or ayu dasunumu would have been awesome like where where would they fit like because, I mean, hell, even John Conchar is playing good this year. Like, um, right. obviously, if you wanted to go with the whole roll the dice method, it would have been really sick to reunite Zaire with uh, Brandon Boston, Little Sierra Cannon reunion. That would have been really cool for, uh, you know, the ball's life and House of Highlights uh, part of Twitter. But, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they had a formula they liked with Santi, and you know what? If you miss here, it's not the end of the world. It's not like you're making or breaking uh, title chances here. But you at least try. I mean, he's a 6'11 dude with some semblance of skill. Like, yeah. sure, go roll the dice on it. At, at best case, he's a guy you can have as your ninth or 10th man in the regular season. And you crunch out when it gets to the postseason. Yeah, Very much and- worse things to get at the 30th pick. Absolutely. And look like this was, this was the roll of the dice draft, right? Like they, the, basically their whole time uh, in charge is at climate and company. Like, so, all right, you take the John Morant pick at two, like no one is debating that he was clearly the second best guy. Uh, maybe there was a couple people that would have taken RJ, whatever. No one's doing that now, but then you go back and you take Brandon Clark four-year player, five-year player, however long he was there, uh, Gonzaga and San Jose State. Older guy comes in, immediately good as a rookie. Same thing with Desmond Bain. Four-year guy comes in, immediately good. Um, Xavier Tillman, falling out of the rotation a little bit this year, but gave really productive minutes as a rookie. Again, older guy out of Michigan State. Then, and you even look at some of the guys they signed, John Conchar, four-year guy. Killian Tilly was at Gonzaga forever. Um, so they kind of had like, all right, we're getting guys that are, well, you know, 21, 22, 23, guys that we think are pretty much plug and play type players who do have some upside to them. Well, now this past draft was Zaire Williams, Santi Aldama, 
neither one of them are ready to contribute in any meaningful way, like in a playoff type setting, or you're likely not closing the games. Although they've closed the games with Zaire. I, I will, I cannot sing their praises enough for get letting Zaire just out there and do his thing in huge situations. So I'll give him a lot of credit there, but both two pretty big prospect, a uh, bit pretty big projects, I should say. Um, and it's not the MO that they have followed, you know, the previous couple of years. So you took the swings and you know what, if neither one of them pan out, which I, I believe in Zaire, Santi, we'll see. I don't, I don't know that I have a great opinion one way or the other, but if neither one pan out, your roster is still great. And guess what? If one of them hit, then boom, you've just got another great player. You can add to an already incredibly deep roster. So, um, if Santi ends up not hitting, guess what? The 30th pick doesn't hit almost every year. So it's okay. You know, we'll survive. Um, but yeah, it, it, they swung for the fences. They changed up their philosophy just a little bit. But um, if you're going to miss, miss on a 6'10 and a 6'11 guy who do some stuff that guys that size don't typically do. I totally agree. You know what? Like you said, they, they afforded themselves some swings. I mean, Aside, like obviously drafting John Morant allows you to do that. But I mean, even getting Brandon Clark and Desmond Bain in back to back drafts, two of Twi- draft Twitter's biggest darlings, or getting uh, D'Anthony Melton in a trade, signing Tyus Jones, um, f- hitting on the margins quite well with guys like Xavier Tillman, Killian Tilly, and John Conchar, you can afford yourself some swings. And I, like you said, I'm totally cool with it. Um, with it, Zaire Santi, you, you just I, I trust the I trust the coaching staff. Cause, I mean, for the most part, they've developed pretty much everybody on the roster. And the only player that didn't develop was Justice Winslow, who's just kind of glass now. I mean, he's just kind of a shell of himself. So it's not really yeah. the coaching staff's fault right there. But I, I don't want to get too much deeper into you know the the current roster dynamics and stuff or any more further on Santi on Dama. Both of those things could be for another time on another pod. But I do want to close with this because you are, you've kind of, you know, state your claim as uh, one of the big draft Twitter guys uh, in Grizz Twitter. And the, the, I'm going to be completely honest. The only reason I'm pretty remotely invested in this draft is that Laker pick. Shout out to Zach Kleiman for managing to snag that pick in the Adams and Balanchunas trade. Uh, but that is the only reason why I'm invested in it. Uh, there's some guys I like, but when your team is a top five team in the league, you just don't really try to find too much investment with the draft while you're in the regular season. Uh, but I, I know this is your lane. And, you know, with being on the on Pacific Coast, you have time to watch uh, college basketball games af- after the Grizzlies are on. So who is who is that guy right now that's standing out to you is like, okay, th- this is the top of the board. I want the Grizzlies to get this guy. Like, obviously, like this is excluding your Jabari's, Chet's, Paolo's, Jaden, Jaden Ivy. I think we've when you established that when I originally asked you uh, this question yeah. uh, before the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a guy <laughs> – you know, it. I think maybe like a week ago, this would have been a little bit more realistic, but this guy has blown up a lot recently as uh, A.J. Griffin. Um, I think there's a pretty good chance that A.J. Griffin ends up either fourth or fifth for me. Um, 
in this, uh, when I finished my, my top prospects for this class, I, I, you know, I, I think the one thing that is keeping him from being up there on everybody's is uh, probably two things. One, a little bit of consistency. He's not great every night. Um, but when he hits, it's, man, he, it's a lot of fun to watch. He's also got some pretty significant injury concerns. Uh, missed the preseason this year for Duke. I believe missed his entire junior year um, in high school. So you got to check out medically, obviously. But, man, uh, that Lakers pick is going to be pretty interesting if it ends up somewhere around like 11, 12, 13. Because a lot of mocks right now have AJ going in that area. I'm a little skeptical that you can get him there come draft night. My guess is you would have to move up and get in like the seven-ish range. Um, and I'm not even sure that you could make a jump from like 13 to seven with just the other two picks you have. Um, but man, if if they could add an A.J. Griffin type to what they currently have, um, man, I mean, he's he's pretty perfect, like 6'6", defender, like, you don't have to worry about that guy's body. I mean, he's 220-plus pounds, and it's chiseled frame. It's it's pretty remarkable. Um, I believe he's shooting over 50% on over 60 attempts from three. Um, probably the best shooter right now. Doesn't have quite the, the shooting mobility that, like, a Desmond Bain has. But right now, if you let him spot up, like, it's there's a 50% chance that thing's going in from three, uh, which is unreal. And um, – you know, the athletic flashes are incredible. I, I just, I'm in love with the guy. He's one of my favorite prospects in this draft. And um, like you said, the, the fact that they have this Lakers pick while also having one of the five best records in the league. So you're, you have the ability to possibly add another lottery talent is remarkable. Um, you know, there's some other guys I like that are probably in closer to like the 15 to 25 range that, would probably be a little bit more realistically in play for the Lakers pick or even possibly the Utah pick. Like we'll they, those guys just lost Joe Ingles for the year. So we'll see where that pick ends up too. Yeah, um, that pick right but, now is at 21 on Tankathon. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? That could be like a late teens type pick too, but like that puts you in like a Ochi Abaji region. Uh, sorry if I just destroyed oh, yeah, the Kansas name, guy, right? Kansas. Yeah. Knockdown jump shooter there. Like Tari Eason from LSU, I could see him being a guy. Even you could kind of just run it back with Zaire and say, you know what, we're taking the high-level, big-time wing uh, that had kind of the year from hell in college and Pat Baldwin Jr. Mm -hmm. um, so you got some big-time guys that I think, I think uh, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts. But, like, at this point, with the way the roster is, I'm not worried about point guard. I'm really not worried about center or even power forward unless there's just someone I'm like, I can't pass this guy up. I want to just stock my roster with as many guys who are 6'5 to 6'10 and can play on the wing. Um, so those are really the guys that I'm looking at for, for the Grizzlies. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that my, my like quick hitters, I mean, I'm not obviously um, as deep into it right now. A.J. Griffin's number number one for me. Um, I think when it comes down to it, I make a board. I'll have them in my top five. Uh, really, I, I, it's just one of those things. I, I'll, I would roll the dice on the medicals if it's not too alarming. Um, I like Nikola Jovic 
Uh, I've talked with other uh, draft pundits on on him, and I, I know somebody that actually has has him ahead of Chet, uh, surprisingly. So wow, yeah, has <laughs> wow, him four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dyson Daniels is another name. Um, you know, I know I'm not too big on adding a another big man. But, you know, if they want to end up moving on from Steven Adams after his big contract, which, I mean, given the contract he's going to get next, I probably want it. But, like, Walker Kessler from Auburn would be sick. Like, yeah. he kind of fits that front office MO. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this on a, a good note for our, our listeners is if they actually keep, like, a second first-round pick, especially if it's the last of their three first-round picks and he declares, just go ahead and roll on Josh Minot. Like, I, I really like I really like what he's what he's been showing at Memphis. He's a guy that you can stash with the hustle for a year, pretty much. Like, if you have a chance to go get him. Like, I, I think one of the things that's cool with him is like he still has raw elements to his game, but he's still showing an impact on winning. Like, I think he's been the most impactful Tiger this year by pretty big, uh, pretty big margin. Six um, ten uh, could play the three or the four. Just needs to get that jumper down. Body just has a lot of stuff I like. It's been really cool to see. It's been one of the, it's probably been the only bright spot. And, or actually, I take that back. That's disrespectful to Tyler Harris. One of the two bright spots for the season for the Tigers. Yeah. You can't, uh, can't forget about Mr. First 48, Tyler Harris. He, I, I love, I'm so happy for him. I've always been a, a fan of his. He was fun to watch at Cordova and obviously play, having a really good season at Memphis. But I'm with you on my nod. He's, it, it's not a coincidence that when he plays for the Tigers, good things happen. Um, and he's all over the floor. I would love to get a wingspan, like an official measured wingspan. He's got some arms and he's like six foot nine and he handles the ball and it's fun. Like I'm with you. The jumper is, is really the, the big thing holding him back, but a perfect G league stash guy where it's like, you know what? Don't even worry about coming to play with the big club for like two years. Just go down there, destroy everyone in the G League, and when you're ready, we'll we'll bring you back and you can step into a rotation. But like, kind of some like, like OG Ananobi ish vibes with you know without the jumper. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm 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 in on my not too. I I have no idea if he's gonna come out or not. I think um, there's enough like smart draft people that like him that makes me think that there are probably some good NBA teams that really like him too. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he got like a promise in the twenties or something and went ahead and came out this year. Um, definitely crazier things have happened. Yeah. I I'm definitely in the boat that if you're a playoff team looking to just take a swing, like if you can afford it, like Memphis, for example, but I'm even like, get him okay. in that heat, get him in that heat culture. Uh, maybe get him mm. with the uh, Chicago. Just like I'm just looking at the bottom of this draft here, but th- those are just a couple of teams where I'm like, just go ahead and take that mine out swing. Like, just see, like if, at the bare least, he's going to impact if, winning. If Masai Ujiri starts making calls at like 25 and uh, Minot's not off the board, it's like, okay, we know what Masai's up to here. Like, the, this oh, guy's yeah. going to put Josh Minot in the uh, in the Toronto Raptors, uh, like legendary wing development system. So, yeah, there's. I, you're right. Like all those teams, if he could get on one of those, we could. I think we could see a really fun NBA player for a long time. Absolutely. Jalen Durant too. I really think Durant's good. I, I really, really think he's good. He's he's had kind of some up and down time for Memphis, but like 
that guy's good. He's going to yeah. be a good, good pro. I'm i uh, I'm a fan of this. I will say with Jalen Duran, I think honestly this little slide is going to benefit him for the most part because now he's going to enter a more optimal situation where he can actually play in a system with a good point guard and good spacing. And that's yep. exactly what he's not having in Memphis. No spacing and not a point guard. So even if he's sliding, I'm not going to fret because I think he's going to end up in a good situation to really like uh, I'm just looking at like if he can slide to Atlanta or stick where he is right now, I see Tank on has him going to Portland. Like that'd be perfect. Just yeah, get him in a good spot. But we'll we'll end we'll end the show on positive uh, Tiger talk uh, before uh, you plug your stuff in. Chip, do you have any uh, final final remarks you want to add? Um, man, no, I, I appreciate you letting me do this. Um, this is always a good time to uh, to chat about the NBA draft. So, you know, hopefully, um, you know, as we start rolling into like February, March, I will uh, start doing a little prospect breakdown on, on Twitter. I don't don't really write anywhere. don't really pod anywhere consistently anymore. But uh, Twitter is always a, a perfect medium to throw out some thoughts from time to time. So I will say. Uh, kind of a Memphis slash Ole Miss crossover since I know you're you're an Ole Miss guy as well. Sure Matthew Morell. That's like, right. Kind of on the periphery there. I've got my eye on him. He's been good. Like there's there's maybe an NBA player there. I'm very interested to to see how he continues to develop. Yeah, one of our writers actually, Justin Lewis, he writes for uh, Ole Miss SB Nation website, Red Cup Rebellion. He actually was like, I think he's like, I think this guy was better than Terrence Davis was in college. And I, yeah. I, I tried to save myself from watching um, Ole Miss basketball because just the, <laughs> the difference in uh, um, quality of play. But, you know, if Matt, Matthew Morales is going to be a guy who evolves into an NBA player, I may have to watch because that's my one wish always for Ole Miss hoops is give me an NBA guy and I'll pay attention or be, be a perennial powerhouse. But. You Chip, sound like really, my old podcasting buddy Sudo. He's like, man, just just one Ole Miss NBA player. That's really all I want. Just just give me one. So dude. maybe Morell's the guy. He's the one. Shout out Sudo, WWE play by play analyst. Yeah. I love it. I I am a huge WWE geek. So that was really cool. I like had to do a double take at first to see that it was Sudo. Like that's <laughs> sick. That is awesome. But uh, that's Chip, how we should end it. Shout to Sue. Yeah, I like. Shout it. out let's, to Sue. Let's leave it there. That's awesome. <laughs> yep, Chip. Let the people know where they can find you and your stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Chip Williams Jr. Um, I'm one of those that I, I'm a I'm a quality over quantity tweeter. So I promise I'm not going to like flood your timeline with a bunch of crap. Uh, it'll only quality. I, I really think about my tweets. So you know, I know there's some people that they got like six hundred thousand tweets and them. I'm not one of those, so don't worry about that right off the top. Yeah, for sure. Y'all follow him on, <laughs> on Twitter for some great great Grizzly stuff, great draft stuff. I know he also is big uh, Indianapolis Colts and uh, Premier Soccer League guy, so he's just the, the jack of all trades. And for the exact opposite of um, quantity and quality, follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the blog on Twitter at SPN Grizzlies. Read all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com and get the long view and the rest of the GBB Live podcast network wherever you get your podcast. With that, that's it.